0: Are you thinking of a career working for the United Nations or its agencies around the world? Is it your dream to serve in your country's foreign ministry, but you don't know where to start? The Center for United Nations Studies at the University of Buckingham in the United Kingdom is now offering a new one-year master's degree program in United Nations and Diplomatic Studies. Applications for fall 2020 and January 2021 are now open. Graduates will gain a firm grounding in diplomacy, international and regional organizations, causes of conflict, and strategies for conflict resolution. They'll also learn about global political communication and have access to mentors with first hand experience in the UN system, such as Program Director Mark Seddon, a former speechwriter to UN Secretary General Ban Ki moon, and Lord Mark Malik Brown, a former UN Deputy Secretary General. The University of Buckingham is located in a historic English town, close to London, and is a popular choice for students from across the globe. To find out more about the program, click the link in our episode description.
1: Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Filion. And welcome to Unscripted.
0: Today, to lift or not to lift. The international community debates whether to loosen sanctions to help countries fight the pandemic. Is this political opportunism or a matter of life or death?
1: This is Unscripted, a podcast that you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all. The diplomats and the reporters covering them.
0: For the coronavirus outbreak, PassBlue has ramped up our coverage on our website, Facebook, and Twitter with live updates daily as our reporters cover very closely how telework and the outbreak is affecting diplomacy.
1: This week, we look at a wide ranging call to end some sanctions against non democratic regimes to make sure that civilians aren't overly hurt in the pandemic. A few weeks ago, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, sent a letters to J-20 countries asking them to ease sanctions to ensure access to food and health care. This appeal was made for countries like Iran, Cuba, North Korea, Venezuela, and Zimbabwe. But it's a controversial idea, and we'll explore
0: why. To dig into this issue, we talked to Halal Elver, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Right to Food. Reporters are independent experts tasked with examining and reporting on human rights abuses around the world. She's normally based in Southern California at UCLA, where she teaches food law and policy. But she's now quarantined in Southern Turkey, her country of origin. Elver has traveled the world and witnessed firsthand the effect of sanctions on people's access to food. So she'll give us her take on sanctions during the pandemic. We'll also hear from Lorraine Rickard-Martin. She's a United Nations consultant specializing in international sanctions and has co-written a book on the topic.
1: So, Casey, you said Elver is one of two experts who called for lifting sanctions. There's Ilal Elver, but also Michelle Bachelet, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. Bachelet released a statement at the end of March where she asked for specific humanitarian exemptions to sanctions so medical workers can do their jobs with proper personal protective equipment, for example.
0: But before we jump in, we want to define sanctions. Some see sanctions as diplomacy's last resort before considering going to war. Lorraine Rickard Martin believes sanctions are an efficient tool, but often misused and misunderstood. Here's how she defines it.
2: Well, sanctions sanctions are, you know, a coercive instrument which is used for multiple purposes, of which behavioral change is only one of them. Sanctions can constrain or contain a situation whereby it curtails funding or revenues which are flowing, you know, towards Uh, norm-breaking behavior. And there are many types of sanctions. There are arms embargoes, there are asset freezes, travel bans, there are sectoral sanctions, commodity sanctions, sanctions on luxury goods. And they're also used in different situations for conflict mitigation, for non-proliferation purposes, for counter-terrorism.
1: So the goal of sanctions is to pressure regimes to change their behavior, but they don't always work. The criticism of sanctions, especially economic sanctions, is that they disproportionately affect civilians in their access to food or to healthcare. That's often the case of unilateral sanctions from one country to another, like US sanctions on Iran or on Venezuela. As Ricard Martin explained, the sanctions being called off right now are mostly unilateral, sanctions imposed by the U.S. and the European Union. The only U.N. sanctions being called off are those on North Korea.
2: They're mainly autonomous, meaning that they're unilateral. They're, you know, one country applying sanctions against another or against individual entities in a particular country and regional. I mean, most of these sanctions are U.S. and other countries, and then there's the European Union that also has sanctions. Only in in the case of DPRK, there are U.N. sanctions, which have been in place since 2006. And then on Iran, there are no U.N. sanctions anymore. There are restrictions under the Iran agreement on Iran's ballistic missiles program. Now, you know, as you know, there are different kinds of sanctions. As I said, they're the unilateral, also called autonomous. There are UN sanctions and regional. And UN sanctions over the past 25 years have really evolved. And they are designed to mitigate generalized pain on the population. They moved away from the sort of comprehensive blanket um, trade ban model of Iraq. And now they're, they're targeted which doesn't mean that there's no pain at all.
0: So human rights experts and some politicians are asking countries to lift some sanctions because the disproportionate effect on civilians will only worsen with the pandemic. And the key targets, the governments, are still left unscathed. So we talked to U.N. special rapporteur Hilal Elver. Her second three-year term ends at the end of April. And as a thematic rapporteur, she has to step down after six years. So we caught her right before she leaves.
3: I'm not in Istanbul. I'm in the uh, small town in the south, but called Bodrum.
1: Oh, is that where you're from? I, saw, I think Hello. you're Turkish, right?
3: No, I'm not. Uh, I'm from Istanbul, but this is our summer place. We 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 came here because of the lockdown.
1: Oh, that looks like a nice place to be quarantined.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The situation came a little later than other uh, countries, but it was really fast growing, which is very nerve-breaking. But there are lots of rules and principles that you can't go out during the weekend, completely curfew, over 65, no one can go out, all kinds of things they're trying to reduce. But we didn't come to the peak yet, as they say. During her term as
1: a reporter on the right to food, Elver has traveled across the globe to assess whether this fundamental right is respected in different countries. In places like Zimbabwe and Cuba, she realized that sanctions have a detrimental effects on civilians' access to food. That was before the coronavirus outbreak, and she says the pandemic is likely making everything worse.
3: Zimbabwe sanctioned quite a long time, 20 years almost, because of the human rights violations. Uh, actually, human rights violation is basically about the uh, uh, white farmers uh, lost uh, their land. So uh, UK and US uh, went against sanction to the Mugabe government. This was directly connected with the right to food and food security because, because of the sanction countries were not able to really produce uh, as used to produce. So that was a direct impact And also many of the sanctions, actually, even they say it's not a blanket sanction. For instance, blanket sanction, I can tell, example, North Korea. And also somehow Venezuela, they are much more larger sanctions than the Zimbabwe. Because basically in sanctions, sometimes they do, for instance, trade relationships, or international organizations, they cannot get credit, they cannot borrow money if they have a sanction. That's a major issue. Sometimes sanction is only against some people, some corporations, but even the limited sanction had a very... Important impact of the country's import and export and any kind of economic uh, relationship with the world. They basically isolated. When they isolated, it, it's very difficult to buy and sell. They basically buy more expensive because also third countries are stopping have a relationship with this. For instance, I can tell you Cuba or Venezuela. For instance, come. To B, if they do the business with Venezuela, then the United States, they don't do any business with this country B. So that's a very important problem about the economic conditions of the country.
0: And Iran is another country that is the target of sanctions, especially by the U.S. government, in an attempt to get Iran to curtail its nuclear program and to change other behavior in the Middle East. From the outset of the pandemic, Iran has been hit particularly hard by the coronavirus. At press time, there are nearly 75,000 confirmed cases and 4,700 people have died, including several high-ranking government officials. High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet emphasized the impact of sectoral sanctions on access to essential medicines and medical equipment, including respirators and protective equipment for healthcare workers.
1: On Iran, even dozens of American politicians agreed with Bachelet. 34 members of the U.S. Congress signed a letter, most of them progressives in the Democratic Party, asking for easing sanctions on Iran. The Democratic presidential frontrunner, Joe Biden, also endorsed this recommendation. And so did centrist Senator Dianne Feinstein of California.
0: But as Elver explained, there's little hope that Washington will agree to lift sanctions on Iran, especially considering the sour relationship between the two countries. But there has been some progress on other fronts.
3: Now, even the UN Secretary General uh, had a call on that. I mean, it's very much in the political agenda. But seeing the current U.S. administration... They are very keen to continue, unfortunately. Some other countries are not. For instance, European Union, many of the European countries are very kind of positively responding, sort of easing in time of the coronavirus, not completely lifting, but maybe interrupting. There are some communications going on. Nothing, very clear step, but not in the U.S., unfortunately.
1: The European Union did send humanitarian relief packages to Iran and Venezuela to alleviate the effects of sanctions there. The U.S. administration's answer is that it has offered its own help to Iran repeatedly, and Tehran just turned it down. But some of the countries named in the calls for lifting sanctions have not all been terribly hit by the coronavirus so far. North Korea hasn't declared any cases, but of course we can't really trust anything the North Korean government says. For Lorraine and Ricard Martin, this situation shows that experts may be using the pandemic as an opportunity to revisit the international sanctions regime. I'm
2: skeptical about the incidence of COVID nineteen in DPRK as I think probably many people are and I think quite apart from whatever I would say responsibility the regime has for the state of affairs, you know, the humanitarian situation with its people, I, I do think that COVID-19 is in some cases being used as, um, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. I think there has to be a fresh look at conflict Resolution And the idea that sanctions can just be sort of imposed, you know, wherever it is, and you walk away and you just say, well, we're not going to do dialogue, we're not going to have any kind of um, constructive approach, we're just going to say, okay, this is the blunt instrument. And we want things to change. I mean, it's shown that it simply doesn't work over and over and over again. You simply don't have a situation that's conducive in an autocratic regime. You have the elites who are actually flourishing. So they're not providing any kind of pressure from the inside for change. And there is political suppression and there is regime survival at stake. So there has to be another approach. I'm not saying as I sit here that I have what the answers are, but I understand where the calls are coming from. They're actually calling for just a complete shift in how these conflicts are, these long-standing conflicts that seem to go nowhere and, and people are suffering more and more and nothing changes. So some of it is real, some of it is perception, some of it is an opportunity to try to push for a sea change in how conflict is approached in some of these cases.
0: And Elver also believes that the movement to alleviate sanctions is bigger than the push to fight the coronavirus. She believes this moment will force the international community to rethink how and why sanctions are being used.
3: Definitely, it will be some international political agenda about economic sanctions in times of now the COVID-19 made this economic sanction part of the agenda which is very I was never expecting or bashelet will talk about the economic sanction I was not expecting this it came kind of as a surprise so it will be it will stay and according to international law there are two views on the sanction one group says economic economic sanction doesn't really help cause elite it never really under the serious problem but the ordinary citizens are paying the bill the other one is saying no 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 this is not this is the only way instead of going to war that would be maybe simple way to make the countries coming into the negotiation table if you look at for instance North Korea has been in sanction years and years they never changed too much their policies and if you look at the Iraq situation. During the first Gulf War, there was also very important human rights violations and never affected. So that is, in my view, and many others like that, economic sanctions should be extremely careful if they are implemented. If it is the final and last resort, for instance, if you stop the war, maybe that's the only way than maybe, but other than this, some kind of political reasoning, which is Venezuela seems to be like that, or Cuba, for instance, years and years, just because um, ideological differences, they are suffering from sanction, which is uh, against the international law principles.
1: But let's make one thing clear. The problem with sanctions, Ricard Martin told us, It's not really about sanctions themselves, but about how they're implemented. Here's how she put it. Another thing that's
2: really missed in discussions of sanctions is that sanctions are meant to work as a policy package, meaning not in isolation, but with dialogue, diplomacy, mediation and incentives, not just the disincentive of sanctions itself. I believe that sanctions are a very powerful tool. When you think about the instruments, Stephanie, that are at the disposal of the international community for international peace and security, what are they? You've got diplomacy, you've got sanctions, and you've got the use of force. There are only three basic instruments. Sanctions are an extremely powerful tool. And as I said, when they are designed and used correctly, And when they have the collective will, the political will of the international community behind them, and when they are used as part of an overall policy package with diplomacy, with uh, dialogue, with mediation, they can contribute to positive outcomes.
0: And like anything else at the UN and in diplomacy, the problem is when issues get over-politicized. As with Iran, it's hard to say whether the government is vocal about sanctions to make the United States look bad or if the regime really cares about its citizens. So when politics take over, the behavior the sanctions were meant to change can actually get worse.
1: And this issue is heavily politicized at the U.N., At the end of March, the Permanent Representative of Ukraine sent a letter to the Secretary General arguing that, and I quote, No sanctions package imposed for violation of international order reduces the ability to protect people from the coronavirus. The ambassador is also accusing certain parties of using the pandemic for political goals.
0: Given the relationship between the Ukraine and Russia, it's not a surprise that the Ukrainian ambassador is criticizing the effort led by Russia and a small coalition of countries to have sanctions lifted during the pandemic.
1: Political opportunism or not, if sanctions do result in reduced access to food and health care, it's easy to imagine how difficult it is for countries without social safety nets and access to the international market to manage a pandemic response. It's too soon to tell, but the international sanctions regime could be one of the many things changed by the coronavirus in the long term.
0: That's it for our show. Thank you to both of our guests. If you want to know more about sanctions, you can take a look at Lorraine Rickard Martin's book, The Evolution of UN Sanctions. As for special rapporteur Halal Elver, she plans to write a book about her six years at the UN, both about the UN itself, but also about the international right to food. So that's something to watch for. This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, and reported by Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent, women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear.
1: A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And PassBlue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump defect on the UN. For day to day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to PassBlue.com. PassBlue's in depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit PassBlue's website and click donate unscripted is available wherever
1: you find podcasts if you like today's show please rate us on itunes and share with all your friends